Everybody, 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 drop your box. Welcome back to Drop Your Buffs. I'm Sean Ross. I'm Evan Ross Katz. And we are talking the challenge episode eight, the Sarah Lucina experience. Evan, what did you think of this episode? I thought this was the weakest of our eight episodes so far. I thought this episode got remarkably bogged down by strategy. I just think that there's so much time allotted to strategy discussion, and I think strategy plays a minimal role in what I'm interested in about this show. So that was a bummer for me. And then I also just found the challenge itself to be not very entertaining and seemingly not very challenging. Um, So this was a, a weaker episode, but I hope that this is a bridge to exciting times to come, but I also (laughs) felt that way about last week's episode. So yeah, I definitely think this was like the mid-season lull for me. And one other thing I would add, which we'll get into at length, which I say that quite a bit, I know. Um, But uh, I think the the rule change, the going from uh, two players being eliminated down to one and making it gendered, I have a problem with. I recognize that it is a part of the challenge the regular challenge that is like you know how the the regular season operates uh but i don't love it uh especially at this juncture of the game so yeah what about you yeah i think i feel sort of similar i didn't love the challenge this week i thought it was probably the most boring of all the challenges they've done or like it just didn't make that much sense to me of why they're doing this and certainly like the cannon i mean we could talk about it but the water cannons <laughs> oh, like amounted to nothing nothing and uh so There was some, like, I think that ultimately the takeaway from this was just, like, Sarah Lucina's batshit crazy approach to, I don't even know if I want to say the game, but just the way that she is making herself the star of this show at any cost to the point where she's willing to go into the men's elimination where she won't win enough money to qualify for the final even if she does win. Um, I just think that there's, like, it's just an interesting turn of events for Sarah. Um, Other than that, it was like, yeah, I agree on the strategy part. I mean, I did think it was interesting, this like this plan that Angela had to bring together the Survivor Boys and Big Brother Girls in in a kind of a new alliance or like the evolution of of an alliance. Uh, Curious to see how that plays out. But to the point of like the individual eliminations, I think there's a lot that we can get into that I don't understand about the portion, this portion of the game. Agreed. And I also, I don't understand Angela's uh, attempt at, bring, at corralling the survivor men and the big brother women because it doesn't make sense because Angela is a strategist and she should know that Ben and Sarah Lucina are not going to part ways. The fact that Angela thinks that she's going to corral these four men to come with her and also recognizing the fact that she is in an alliance with Tyson, which they're already aware of, It just seemed like it, and even, I mean, Dom made this quite clear where he was not fully in on it, but kind of was like, okay, I'll do it for Tyson. But Ben is already sus on Tyson um, going into this season. And Ben is aware that Tyson's biggest ally is Angela, literally the people working against him and Sarah. And Angela's just like, oh yeah, Ben will come into an alliance with me and target his biggest ally in the game. Make it make sense. So there is like a little bit 
of background here that I read about, which is that, of course, Tyson has a podcast of his own on The Ringer, uh, where he recaps Survivor, typically, but he's also recapping The Challenge, which is wild that he's allowed to do that. And I haven't actually listened to it myself because, well, I don't need to listen to Tyson talk about the challenge say, every week. We got, <laughs> there's enough Tyson on the show alone. So. But apparently he talks a lot of behind the scenes and gives a lot of information that is not in the edit. And one of those things I have read, and like, I mean, it's coming from maybe a biased source because Tyson is involved in all of this. But according to him, the edit has mis represented to some extent the relationship between Ben and Sarah and Ben and Sarah and Tyson. And what he says is that as much as Ben and Sarah are against Tyson, that they also were against each other and that this like tight alliance that they seem to have on the show uh, was always in question in the house, that it was like a more of a roller coaster than what they're portraying. And but so in that sense, if that is true, then Angela approaching Ben, I think, and saying, let's just keep this between the Big Brother girls and the Survivor guys, maybe taking advantage of like something that she was seeing in the house between Sarah and Ben. But that's quite odd because there's literally a moment of a talking head with Ben in this episode when he's talking about his friend that died and he mentions the fact that it's comforting to have Sarah in this house and that talking head amounted to nothing strategically. So it wasn't like they put that in there as sort of, you know, um, leading us to something later on. What's the term for that? Foreshadowing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it wasn't that. So honestly, it's like, if that is the case, what Tyson is saying, then the show is going out of its way to portray Mm -hmm. the counter narrative, which seems Mm -hmm. a little, and also like, and for what? Yes. Well, that's the thing. So, so here I'm trying to give Angela the benefit of the doubt that if what Tyson is saying is true on his podcast or what I, what I've read that Tyson says, and so I'm getting this like, this is like fourth hand now, um, then then I can understand that pitch from Angela and that would sort of make sense to me. It would be like a little bit ballsy to like assume that like Ben's not going to go back and tell Sarah about that. But uh, if that's the case, then good on Angela. But given that the narrative is opposite, does that mean that the way that this game is actually going to play out, that any tension between Ben and Sarah actually doesn't matter because ultimately they are going to stick together? Right. And then also, too, if you do have two survivor winners that were seemingly working together and one, if not both, are, are gunning for the other one, wouldn't you want that to be a big part of the narrative? Like, yeah. it would be super exciting to come in and say, Ben and Sarah, who worked together on Winners at War, one could say, could easily argue Ben sacrificed his own game for Sarah on Winners at War to then come back two years later, play this new game together that you think they're in it. And Ben's like, you know what? You you cost me my game last time. You're not going to do that this time. That's a really yeah. fascinating narrative. So yeah. if we're being withheld from that, I, I don't think they would willfully withhold that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think the truth is somewhere in between, probably. Mm, I don't know that Tyson's the most objective of narrators on this. Yeah, I also just want to add, like, there's that moment before the challenge when Tyson's doing a talking head uh, on location, and he talks about the fact that, like, he is the biggest threat in this game right now. And and I guess I was thinking back upon, like, Tyson's journey on his four seasons of Survivor, and, like, yes, Tyson has always been very cocky, 
But I do think at some point Tyson is starting to play the character of Tyson. Absolutely. And it feels like it's it just like, and sometimes I think it works better than other times because to Tyson's credit, he can walk the walk often, right? Like he is a big threat in this game. But for them to act like he, the reason why anyone would be gunning for Tyson at this point is because Tyson backstabbed several people in this game. So yes, it might be that they see him as a threat, but like for him not to mention the fact that like, or it could be that just payback's a bitch and that's how a lot of people operate in a game like this. I, I find the performance of Tyson a little bit cloying after some time. Yeah, I mean, I certainly have felt that way on Survivor. I think he's always come back and played the character up more every season that he's been on. And then, I don't know, there's something about him. I, f- I just feel like the the act works better on the challenge for me. Like, I buy it a lot more and I can stomach it a lot more than when he does it on Survivor. Um, and I have no reason for that, except that maybe I'm just like less emotionally invested in the challenge. So I don't care if he like comes in and ruins the show where when he does it on Survivor, I'm like, oh, you're like dragging down this thing I love by acting, basically, where I think everyone's acting a little on the challenge, except for Mother, who I think is bringing her full authentic self to this game. Yeah, no, this is. Uh... Yeah, I mean, I do feel like it, we could go a little bit like more into the one flew over the cuckoo's nest like you know uh frame like i mean she's got further to go but she's definitely on track like i Mm -hmm. i like where she's going with this and i've said this before about survivor too where it's like and probably about this game it's like you need people that are incredibly invested in the game and that is sarah lucina yeah yeah And there's a little bit of insight that Sarah posted on Instagram this week about some of the actions that she took and the strategy that didn't necessarily make sense that she was pitching. So we'll get into that as we as we talk about the elimination. Um, And we have lots of Sarah to talk. So let's put a pause on that and jump into our recap where uh, we are getting rid of the algorithm. Sort of. I guess we're replacing the algorithm with just pure producer manipulation because even though it's an individual game, I mean, Desi calls it the merge, it's still not an individual game in any sense of the word except for in terms of the elimination that one person is going home. But everything else, including the daily challenge, is played in teams. You are partnered with somebody and there is no discussion about how those partnerships are you know, formed or like how how they are put together. Uh, And so you can only assume that producers chose who's the water cannon shooter for the other person. Um, Certainly if it was a random draw, well, that's basically the algorithm, right? And so why not just say that? And then still two people win. See, when they said like, oh, it's going to be an elimination and a man's going to go, then I thought, okay, so they're like, uh, maybe a man is going to win or a woman's going to win, however they're going to do it. But still, there was two winners, and they make the decision together. So I don't understand the individual portion of the game. So this has been a big issue. So I just started season 15 of The Challenge last night. Um, So I've now watched 10, 11, 12, and then I skipped... Wait, excuse me, 10, 11? I don't know. I skipped Fresh Meat because it was a dud, and then there's one season that's not on Paramount+. Plus. Anyway, I've watched four seasons now, and this is a big point of frustration for me about the challenge, is this gendered nature of the game, and then you have this competition, as we saw in this latest episode of the challenge, where the challenge itself is inconsequential to the women, 
the best you can do is win, which gets you money in your bank account. But if you're already qualified to run TJ's final, there's no stakes whatsoever. I mean, Desi even pointed it out when she mentioned the fact that her loss did not matter because she has enough money to qualify. So DQing in this challenge, it doesn't have any consequence whatsoever. There's no risk at all. I don't understand and especially at this juncture when there's still so many people left in the game, like we could use more double eliminations. We need less people going into this final. Strictly from like a sense of like less people on screen to track, for, you know what I mean? Like just, I think it would make the, the viewing yeah. experience of the final better. So yeah, that part did not make sense to me. And to your point too, I, and I was gonna say, we'll get to this, but with the soap and everything and the guns on the, uh, the water guns and everything not really factoring in to the challenge itself, it didn't end up being of great consequence. But had those soakers actually amounted to people slipping and falling as a result or not slipping and falling as a result, then yes, th those partnerships would certainly matter because there'd be strategy involved, right? Like the partnership between Sarah and Ben, again, to our early conversation, are they working together? Are they not? That would have mattered in a moment like that. So, and, and also, like, Angela's win, again, she's qualified for the final. What does her win matter? And, sorry to and, 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 but and, when they're in the, the deliberation later, does Angela ultimately really get a say in who goes? Like, how much do these two people that win have to agree when Angela's not really her gender is not on the block? So does she get a say in the yeah. conversation? I just, there were so what many What happens if they disagree? Had. What happens yeah. if they each disagree? Right. I mean, I'm sure it, I mean, I think that they've done this iteration of like the challenge before, right? This like team partnership. Has that happened on any of the seasons you've watched? The team partnership where- They're yes, like yes, yes. partnerships, yeah. Yes. So it does, do they choose people for elimination in the same way? They just kind of have to agree? I have to be honest with you. It's so confusing because every season has new rules. Okay. Like there, I'm I'm in an era where they're like, so fresh meat was pairs, but now I'm onto a season where they're broken up. The entire cast is on two teams of veterans and rookies. However, the rookies includes people that have played in one challenge or less. So there are technically. The rookies is divided between actual rookies and people that have played in a challenge before, but they're noted. So it's, again, like, there's so much confusion around rules. And then also one thing that I'm currently dealing with, and I'm only two episodes in, they changed the rules this season so you don't get money per challenge win. You just get money in the final challenge. So all of the teams are suddenly like, why don't we try and throw the challenge is to get our weak players out mm. because we're not going to risk losing any money and we'll have a better team at the, fa fa the finale. Again, I'm two episodes in, but like, it seems like the players have like outsmarted the change in the game that they tried to make. So my sense is that like the show is always trying to like course correct, but oftentimes making itself worse. Um, <laughs> but that's part, I mean, I do feel like one thing that is not great about this current iteration is it's like, once you have your money, um, if you're not a big threat, say you're someone like Kayla and you're not really worrying about going into the eliminations, like what, what are you really playing for at that point? Like once you're qualified for the finale, I guess, yeah, the worry is maybe you get thrown in, but I just feel like there needs to be some changes in the rules. Yeah. So, well, so for somebody like Kayla, I think that she does have a concern because she is now the final remaining amazing race contestant right and so like whether that 
I don't know how much that played into them putting Leo into elimination this round, but certainly he was not in any of these big alliances, right? I mean, I think he had like working relationships, but like not enough to keep him safe. And so depending on who wins, if they want to take the easy way out, Kayla would be somebody. But but to point at somebody like maybe a Desi, I think Desi's sitting very comfortable. Like she like she would never be up for elimination. Does Desi, does he have a win? Yes. Yes. Yeah, she's so, qualified. All she has to do is, it doesn't matter. Like, she can DQ every challenge. Exactly. I mean, as long as she's not, as long as she's not losing and going up for elimination. But she could just, like, middle every challenge. And uh, as long as she's not the loser, then, like, I don't think she has anything to be concerned about. I concur. So, yeah. But, but yeah, back to the, back to the decision and the deliberation it's curious because in that first episode if you remember when tyson and angela won tj asked each of them for what is your vote for putting somebody into the arena he hasn't used that language again ever since it's just more like what's your decision and so i wonder if they had like toyed with this idea of like you know, one person puts a name forward and maybe the other person is going to put a different name forward and then we're going to have some way of figuring out like how this is going to be resolved. But I don't know if we have the time for that in this 45-minute show. I also do (laughs) think too, just like, again, there are so many people left in the game. We're only on episode eight. I just feel like we were very fine to continue to do pairs up until TJ's like final. It felt like we didn't need this switch up in the game, especially, mind you, we went from having the algorithm to eliminating the algorithm a few, if not last episode, a few episodes ago, because we got to the point where there were no longer new partnerships to be made. And now it's like another twist. And it's like, again, we're only eight episodes in. I feel like Survivor has the same issue sometimes when they do um, the swaps, where it's like, we are so new to establishing these tribes. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, we're swapping. And it's like, but... Uh, 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 okay but like these people have no there's no stakes here yeah yeah agreed you know who did it really well though there's that uh reward challenge in survivor uh uh pearl islands when the team wins and they're able to select one person from the opposing tribe to come over to their tribe and they choose rupert and that is to me is like a great sort of twist which is like take someone from the other tribe have the, the the winning tribe pick which person, and that can be used either to advance their tribe or to weaken the other tribe or yeah. both. Um, that to me is like a good example of sort of like a twist. Um, but this to me just was ineffective. Well, it would have been nice if they were getting rid of the algorithm. It would have been nice to have some way of like, okay, pick your pairs. Yeah, exactly. You know? That would be I also to do think uh, with regards to Justine and Cachet, because we've gotten so little strategy talk from them, the assumption that we're getting from Angela is that like the Love Island girls are sticking together. Um, but I would love to know if like I have a I have a feeling like they are smart women with individual games in their mind. Like, are they having strategy talk with other people and not just people of their own gender, but just like where is their head at? I feel like yeah. we are. There's a lot of missing links narratively. We have not checked in with the links in a while. Oh my god! And honest, it's funny you say that. After we recorded last week's episode, we didn't mention the links by name. Yeah. And I, I was filled with regret. <laughs> okay. Well, here it is. Links. 
Okay, so uh, back at the house after this individual portion of the game is announced, we do get some strategy talk with uh, Danny and Ben, of all people, sitting around talking, which I think that's the first time I've seen them talking, about numbers. And Danny's basically like, look, we have six survivors left. If we can just stick together, like, let's not be dumb here. Let's just, like, work this to our advantage. We could all do pretty well, except that three of them don't have the money to qualify for the final Two being the two talking, Danny and Ben, and the Let's third being Sarah. And the third being Sarah, who we also get this great shot. I don't know why it cracks me up because there's nothing even in it that's like funny, but Sarah outside in the courtyard talking to the other girls, being like, I'm the only girl who's not qualified for the final. And everyone's like, What? You are? Like, how do they not know that? But uh, I just thought it was so funny because I love to watch Sarah whining. I also want to highlight, they cut to an image, it's very America's Next Top Model, of the six Survivor players remaining in the game, and just the, whoever photoshopped (laughs) that image together, Emmy, Peabody, etc. It is a fabulous image. I was really craving that executive produced by Tyra Banks and Ken Mock moment. It was amazing. It's amazing how they choose moments to like, okay... The audience is so dumb. We need to we show need them to, yes. a picture of right. promo photos of all the remaining survivors. And then other times just stuff happens and I'm like, I don't know what's happening. I have no idea what's going on right now. It's like and in I this really episode. really use a, a graphic. Yeah. Like when Ben was like on Survivor, I was known for winning. And yeah. then we got a cutaway <laughs> from Survivor of Ben winning a challenge when like we didn't require that but there are so many other instances when i'm like show us ben and sarah on all winners at war and sort of their story arc and there are so many times i'm sort of like what how did they determine when we need context uh because we get very minimal but then when we do get it it's sort of like and for what and also ben saying he was known for winning it's like <laughs> a lot of people on these shows uh, would 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 say that they are known for winning, particularly the winners. So yeah, no, we we that's yeah, sort of implied. Yeah, and the way he phrased it was like on Survivor, I was known for winning, and I was like, okay, like as in winning Survivor. Yeah, I guess I guess he's known for being the winner of Survivor, but like winning. I mean, he did win a lot of challenges, but then he had the win handed to him. Hello. And so I think he's more known for that than he is for winning challenges. But, well, we can't all look at ourselves objectively. That's true. Um, What else? Well... Well, I just, just, I did want to mention Ben has a talking head here in which he says that he has to work with Tyson. That's the the words he uses. He has to. And it's just like, no, you don't. And why do you feel that way? You absolutely do not. It's just so, again, when it goes back to my comment at the beginning of this about the strategy talk being so confusing, it's like, not only is there too much strategy talk, but you get these comments from certain players and you're just like, what are you saying and why? Tyson backstabbed you several weeks ago and you were really pressed about it. And now you're saying you have to work with him. Yeah. And this whole idea of, I want to go up against the best in the end. Like, I just... I have to, so he says, I have to work with Tyson, but then he also says, and also, I would just love to beat him in the end. And it's like, you can beat him in the middle of the game. It's just as good. Also, you beat him at Survivor Winners at War if we're talking about, you know, rankings here. So, Uh yeah, I don't think Ben beat much at Survivor Winners at War. That's true. But also, too, it's like, it's interesting that, like, imagining watching the challenge as, like, a non Survivor fan, because you would get the impression when you hear four time player, 
on Survivor, I think that you might assume that means like, oh, because you're the best of the best, you've played four times. But like Tyson is objectively bad at Survivor. This is a conversation for another day, but I feel like of all the <laughs> I mean, people that have been... Win, he did win the game. Yes, but I would categorize him in the same boat as Rob Mariano as far as being handed a win because he was playing with people unwilling to play the game. Again, conversation for another day. Mm. But my point being... I know, we go, we differ on this. But my point <laughs> being, I do not think Tyson is like the great Survivor player, whereas I'm not a big fan of Tony, but like Tony is great at playing Survivor. Like one cannot deny that. Where it's like, I don't think Tyson is a great Survivor survivor player um he's a great survivor character exactly but i happens to win once right but the challenge would have you believe that like tyson is like the the tyson and it's like i don't know about that that's been a lot of revisionist history around tyson i mean like tyson was always a joke like that was the point that was him on token chains that was him on winners at war for the brief period that he was sorry on heroes versus villains for the brief period that he was there and then just like through happenstance in the dark ages. I mean, I like, I do think he played a good game in blood versus water, but, and then, you know, we saw how it went on when I was at war. And so, uh, I just think that there's been like a lot and I think it's been heavily influenced by Tyson himself, this revisionist history about Tyson being like one of the greats, uh, to ever play the game. And I just don't think that's true. No. In the same way that I'd say like Cochrane is not one of the great winners of survivor, but, but that CBS would have us believe that. Indeed. To the point where, as Earl said in our interview, that they bring him back on a boat as a reward to give advice to people. Like, the last person I want advice from is Cochrane. Yeah. If a boat <laughs> pulls up with Cochrane, it's like, I'm going to the other side of the island. Like I want a refund, that? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, do we need to talk about Ben's dead friend or no? We do, just briefly. Okay, let's um, talk about it. Respectfully. Um... <laughs> I did feel like this, I understand, this This was a very CBS plot, mm-hmm. right? Like, this was very much like, I get why this was included, and it had a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yeah. But all that we got, and I was try- I rewatched the episode to try and track this, the quote about this gentleman, who, do we get a name? By- yeah, we do get a name. I don't know it. Blake. Uh, okay, Blake. Um, the, the, the quote that we get is, Blake was a good guy. Mm-hmm. That's what we learn about Blake. And obviously they they fought in combat together. We learn that Blake died in Ben's arms. Um, but and then we learn that it's the, the the day of the challenge is the date of his death. That's what we know. Mm-hmm. But we learn nothing about Blake for us as viewers of the show to care about. And then considering the fact that Ben has been such a non-presence throughout this show, it just felt very shoehorned into this episode. Yeah. Um, incredibly so. And it's, I'm not trying to be um, rude by any measure. And like, it's not that, I'm not saying that they shouldn't have included it, but they gave it so much weight that it again felt like, oh, Ben's winning this challenge. I would be so curious, like, so had Ben lost this challenge, I imagine this would have not been included in the episode. The other thing I'm just curious about is like suddenly we have suddenly we have this night out um, yeah. where we get Ben cheersing and them having this group moment, and then and then also we get um, with Leo doing strategy talk with Angela as though they're having their you know meeting at the whiteboard, but they're out at a bar. 
I just didn't understand, like, did they go out that night to celebrate Blake? Was that the impetus for the going out? Or do they go out every night and we just don't see it? I know we have seen a few nights out, yeah. but I just, I didn't, I wasn't able to connect a lot of the dots here. Yeah. Well, so I suspect that they, I suspect they're not going out every night. And as we've talked about before, some of these rounds happen over the course of two days. Some of them happen in one day. And so uh, probably in those one days, they're not going out at night. That sounds like a very long day. Uh, But it's where they have these two days where like sometimes they seem to go out. And I'm sure that there's probably times they'd go out and there's just no footage to like make it interesting for us. But um, I thought it was interesting that (laughs) I'm going to get myself in trouble. Uh, I just think it's like interesting to go to a bar and then talk about that but anyways I, I like i was bored i don't care i don't care for these stories of like i don't know this person people die all the time it's just the hero worship for me is it falls flat personally it definitely falls flat and again too it's like because you know so it's uh, this to me was like at least with the kiki plot with danny we have consistency right yes. so it's like we get very little from danny but what we get is always this same note so it starts to feel familiar beyond familiar one might say um but with this yeah with this ben thing it just was like i don't know and and yeah again with your thing about hero worship i just feel like there's always been this effort uh both on survivor and now with the challenge to like make ben just seem like this like great guy and i'll i just i'll never care about ben yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. it's not that i think he's not a good guy he's not a guy that i want to think about Ever. Yes. There's been some wild stuff going on with his wardrobe also. Where after his win with Angela and they're in their like deliberations, the editing inconsistency is truly wild. What do you call that? Continuity. Mm. Where he has this homemade cutoff, sleeveless cutoff shirt right so he's like chopped off the sleeves to make this whatever uh and it's like very jagged and it seems to be either the style he went for or he had like a dull pair of scissors to do it with but i think the style kind of like works for him it's interesting and so there's scenes of them chit-chatting on the couch next to the leaderboard and then it's like they'll cut to another angle and he's wearing a black t-shirt and then they'll cut back and he's wearing the cutoffs and then he's They'll cut back and he's wearing the black t-shirt. So that's interesting. Also, I can't believe that. Are there people who really unironically sit around wearing a cowboy hat all day? It's a great question. Is it a thing? It is a great question. I don't if know. You could never put your head back. You can never I was going to say that to me. And like, there's just, I, I had a big brimmed hat on this weekend um, while I was away. Yes, you and did. I, <laughs> I did, yeah. And I found it challenging um, when in the car I couldn't lean back. And there were just several scenarios in which I was like, wow, this is, a, a, I'm, I'm having to commit to this bit. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, that is most curious. That was your challenge. That was my challenge. Okay, let's get to the daily challenge because I'm getting ahead of myself. So uh, they are playing a game called Having a Blast, which has, uh, I think, one of the worst challenges they've run so far. And I know I've said that a couple times, but I think this one really takes the cake. It was so boring where they have to go out uh, two at a time on a boat, jump onto a platform that is being pulled by a tugboat. All this is happening in water. The platforms are covered in soap to make it more slippery. 
and they have to run back and forth on this platform to collect keys, which they put into a safe to release a flag. Uh, they have to do this four times. And meanwhile, on the back of the tugboat, there are water cannons that other players are meant to be shooting at the player to make it more difficult for them on the platform. However, nobody used the water cannons for that purpose. Everybody, whether it was because of the pairings that they made and that these people were like allies of some sort, but every single person used the water cannon to actually hack the challenge in order to make it easier to run down the platform by shooting the soap off of the platform. And I think notably, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I don't think anybody had any difficulty with this challenge whatsoever outside of those who fell off on yeah. initial dismount from the 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 uh, boat that they were on. But on the actual running back and forth, it really was just a race. But no one was actually having difficulty with regards to the soapiness of the runway there. And also, I just think from a challenge design perspective, anytime you're asking people to do the same thing four times, I don't think that's allowing for a lot of possibilities by way of like interesting things that can happen. Whereas on Survivor, you see a lot of times where it's like phase one of the challenge is this, phase two is this, because you're going to get the most dynamism out of the actual filming of the challenge itself because there's all these different visuals to look for. This was just sort of like dismount onto this beam and then just run up and down and up and down. It was just boring. Yeah, yeah. There was some interesting things that happened during this segment, though, that I think are worth talking about. One is this rivalry between Sarah and Angela, which is so funny because Sarah is just like, She's cuckoo crazy a little bit where we're getting confessionals from her about how Angela sucks. She has not proven herself in this game. She has not proven herself as a competitor. Meanwhile, Angela has won multiple challenges and she's about to win this one. She's about to beat Sarah in this one. And Sarah has won nothing. It's like, Sarah, what are you talking about that Angela hasn't proven herself? I also just don't really understand. Again, like this rivalry, it's like, this shouldn't matter to Sarah, like, at all. <laughs> sure, if there's an opportunity to knock Angela out, I understand why, like, you might want to take a shot at a big dog. But the only thing Sarah needs to be worried about at this point is getting to TJ's final, which she does not have a path there yet. So, yeah, just a lot of attention on Angela. I mean, as Angela said in the Elimination Arena, that uh, Sarah, maybe you should focus on winning a challenge. Yeah, but, 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 I think Angela is a remarkably boring character. Yes. And I Sarah know. is, could not be more yes. opposite. So this just goes to show you the sort of like equilibrium of casting. Um, and this is why, I don't know, I've got Pearl Islands on the mind. Rupert is such an interesting casting choice because he kind of gives you a little bit of both, but it's like, I would. I am of the mindset where I would cast 10 Sarah Lucinas before yeah. I would ever cast an Angela, just because Angela's not satisfying. And then on top of being boring, she's allotted a lot of screen time in this mm -hmm. episode to strategize. And I'm like, no one is craving more Angela in life, except for maybe her boyfriend. And even he, I think, is sort of making some question, you know, thinking to himself, eh, is this really worth it? Especially if she doesn't bring home the bacon. Um, so I, I just, I, yeah, less Angela. I don't, I don't want to say more Sarah, but like I'm satisfied with the amount of Sarah that we're getting. 
Yeah, I would say that if Angela had an ounce of Sarah's personality, she would be an incredible reality TV personality. Yes. Maybe Shan was onto something when she said about Angela that you can never tell what she's thinking or saying because her face doesn't move. I'm going to bite my tongue right now, but I do have (laughs) thoughts about Angela's face that are not for Mm -hmm. this podcast. But Mm -hmm. I do think Shan... There's a conversation to be had in a certain place. I'll say there's a lot going on with, well, no, we don't need to talk about it. Yeah, no. (laughs) I think there's a lot of, (laughs) there's a lot of players, how can I put this? There's a lot of players on the Challenge USA that uh, are, could be great spokespeople for uh, the benefits of SPF. Huh. We're going to name names. Some people just, they quite look a little haggard. Mm. You know, on yeah. TV. Yeah. It's not like, I, I, would, I would understand on Survivor, right? They were like. Not Justine. Not my girl Justine. No, never Justine. Okay. My, I was going to say my girl Justine, who has not, not been on the show the last several weeks. But hopefully, <laughs> I am confident that she will triumphantly return. Our legs need some screen time. Yeah. Uh, okay, what else? We Here we get our our first of two Kiki shoutouts. I think this is our first episode where we have two separate individual Kiki shoutouts. So we're ramping up on the Kiki content. And then also there was a throwaway line where Tyson was talking about Angela and he said, Angela's the closest ally I've had in any game. And I just want to point out that he played Survivor Blood versus Water with his wife. so (laughs) i just find that interesting (laughs) do you know what's funny (laughs) for like how big of a player tyson is and rupert for that matter the fact that like their wives played and were so such duds on the show survivor Mm -hmm. not duds as human beings um i think is very notable but I'm trying to think, have we ever really gotten, have partners ever? I mean, I got, I've always preferred kids, you know? Yeah. I mean, I really liked, what are you saying? Have we had good partners? I'm saying have there, I mean, I guess you get uh, Candace and her husband, but Candace eh, isn't that I wouldn't call them good. Yeah. They're, like, um, they're fun. I would say that John and Jacqueline from <gasps> San Juan del Sur were a great partnership. Oh my God. Bring them on the challenge. Bring them back. Bring them anywhere anywhere um yeah yeah but anyway so but tyson um yeah he his partnership uh he might want to remember his wife there i did also want to mention i did think there was a little bit of a not cringe moment but a notable moment when desi fell off and tj was like a little too gleeful about it and you did hear a moment and i don't know who it is but someone says tj's name there kind of playfully scolding him for that moment. And that was a little bit of like, I get that part of the bit that is TJ is the fact that he like loves torturing the contestants. But I didn't love the fact that because so few people were failing in the challenge, I think it's only, only two people DQ'd from the dismount, right? Yeah. So there was just something about that that I just didn't love. I don't know. I, and I don't, I don't want to read into it too much because it's like, it's not out of character for TJ. And it wasn't like mean spirited in the way that like Jeff, early Jeff Propes could be quite mean spirited, but I didn't love it. Yeah. I would say these DQs were funny. 
Like, I did find it funny how they slid. It's funny. I thought it was visually comical that you can jump onto this platform and slide immediately off and your game is just over. Yeah, but I feel like for the comedic bit to land, you almost... Okay, I feel like if this challenge would have worked out better, it would have been like 80% of the players DQ'd, which happens quite a bit on the challenge that I'm watching, Mm. where it's like they'll do a challenge that just like, again, because the early seasons were less competitive and there were a lot of hungover contestants. And so you'll get challenges in which it's just like, no one can do the challenge. And so the winner is the one pairing that can just complete the challenge. And I like that. Yeah. It's so interesting that the women had to run this challenge. Anyway, I'm, I, I just am not over this individual portion of the game. Also, and I've complained about this before on Survivor Proper, where it's like, why do you, if this part, if this challenge is done in fours, why don't you wait until you have the right number to run this? Like, why wasn't this challenge run last week instead of having to have those two people that go last? I know it's like a small thing and it doesn't really matter, but I just, it's one of those things I never quite understand. Yeah. Or run this next week. I guess they couldn't run it next week because now, again, now we have all these weird numbers. I don't yeah. get it. So, so, is, bad, so is next wait. week the penult? Sorry, sorry. but I have no idea. Week, is next week the penult ultimate episode? And then everyone else is know. going? Is the final one episode? That's a good question. Because I thought the final was like multiple rounds, but maybe it's just like a big two hour finale or something. Oh, time will tell. Okay, so so Ben wins uh, for the men, and then TJ announces, I think, just for like the the ongoing narrative that Angela and Sarah were seconds apart, and ultimately Angela is the winner, which is so funny after everything that Sarah said about Angela having the easiest ride in this entire competition, and like has not proven herself as a competitor. Once again, she has won. I think this is her third challenge win, but. Oh, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think I believe it's her third. But what you want from this challenge, again, this makes me think about how like several weeks ago, after Tyson put Sarah into the arena, you wanted that that Sarah-Ben partnership, blah, blah, blah. This is one of those moments where it's like, I wanted it to be a women's elimination. I wanted Angela to, or excuse me, I wanted Sarah to win, to put Angela in the arena and then send herself in as well. It's like, you want that Angela-Sarah showdown that I'm not sure we're going to get. And so I feel like there's been a couple moments on the show now where it's like, I don't want to say they've bungled it because... It, maybe the opportunity wasn't there, but like yeah. I, I am curious in what scenario we'll see the Sarah Angela, like this brewing, perhaps one-sided feud, like come to light. And again, Angela's strategy seems to be not targeting Sarah so much as just not working with Sarah because she yeah. puts Sarah in the same category as Desi. So I don't think it's specifically saying that she has any issues with Sarah in the way that Sarah clearly has issues with Angela. Yeah, I do think like if if only there were some way to have Sarah and Angela run the hall brawl. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> like whoa, that could be pay per view. Whoa. Okay, that's the challenge, USA. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So wow. <laughs> So while Ben and Angela are the winners, Enzo is the loser. Enzo also had an injury in this challenge where he was bleeding. Well, when you say Enzo is the loser, I think in this challenge, but I also think in life, I can't get on board 
with Enzo. I know that he is not a very well-liked player on Big Brother, and that makes sense. I just find Enzo not insufferable, because insufferable would mean like I'm invested enough to find him that way. I would put Enzo in that same category I put Ben in, which is just like, I don't think about you, and I don't want to think about you. And, and the show has been beneficial in showing him very little until this episode. But like Enzo, I don't know. And it was just so... Enzo's like strategizing or I don't know. I don't know what yeah. Enzo's doing here. Yeah. I'm curious. Enzo's a dud of a casting too. Well, this is what I'll say. I'll bring this up again. Just take one look at Enzo and put on some sunscreen. Immediately. Yeah. It's like Enzo could be 30 or 80 and it really could go either way. I just don't get like, I can't believe he was on Big Brother. What was he doing on Big Brother? Who I don't know. He did really well. Show? I just don't think he's interesting in any way. Right. I you find Angela be, more interesting than him. You think that he'll be like a Tony in that, like you hear the accent and you're yeah, like, he's going to yeah. be a big character, but then he's not. And then, yeah. I, but then again, it's like you have David on the challenge USA as well. So by way of like non players, it's like, yeah. you know, Enzo has competition. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, and, and again, at least with Danny, there is like that one narrative beat that we can hit. Whereas like with Enzo and David, it's like, what are we doing here and why? You know, they it's funny, they gave David like a couple lines in this episode, including one in which they needed to subtitle it because the audio was so bad. And usually when they subtitle something, you're like, well, this was such an important point that was being made that we have to include it in the edit. But the David line earlier was just them being like, oh yeah, like... It was around when Desi was saying that this is like the survivor merge and David says something and it's like, it just feels like pity subtitles where they're just like, let's get David in the episode, I guess. Yeah. 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 It's interesting that we've gotten so far (laughs) down and I just feel like there are still invisible people because early on I was like, wow, I feel like I know everybody really well. I felt like they did a better job of spreading out the screen time earlier in the season than they are now when it should be easier. I think that's because earlier on it was less strategy focused and more just focused on having fun or commenting on one another or the challenge itself. And I feel like now, if you are a part of the show, it's because you're big into the strategy. There's less time for sort of character development, which is surprising because, yeah, there's less, you'd have more time to develop characters. And I think, again, there's intense focus on, like, things like the Angela v. Sarah, which it's like, I just don't think are that necessary, but they seem really invested in. Yeah. Okay, let's go back to the house where we have some strategy to do. And of course, okay, how are we going to talk about this? Basically, Enzo's giving them nothing. Once again, the loser is not giving any sort of indication of who they would like to go up against in the elimination, except that he says, look, I want to make enough money to qualify for the final. So that's basically his stipulation. Like, please don't put me up against someone with like a thousand bucks. So he's giving us nothing. Also, these stitches he got, right? So he got his injury. The stitches he got, we didn't see the medical team deal with him, which I would have loved to have seen because he says he got two, maybe three stitches, which I feel like at that point I would know how many I have. And the shot of his leg, it's like they wrapped an old towel and taped it with masking tape to his leg. What is going on in Buenos Aires? Okay, so basically then we have Angela and Ben just having to like work this out themselves and figure out who they're going to put in. And this is when Angela kind of like pitches her deal to Ben where she says, 
I want to keep the survivor guys and the big brother girls together. So like maybe we can have this kind of secret alliance. And she was like, do not tell the survivor girls. And then we kind of get this over the next, the course of the the, the next day, uh, a series of shots of like the survivor guys kind of like following through on this plan where they sort of take each other aside individually and be like, this is what Angela is suggesting. Like, how does this sound to you? And everybody seems to be like kind of on board. So I am curious, like, is this going to pan out and actually mean something it's really tough with alliances, especially because I thought moving into the individual portion of the game, we would have one winner and that they would make the decision, which would give them a lot more power. But the thing that was also interesting, I mean, I, I liked it with the pairs, was that you could have people from two opposing alliances, like the Big Brother Alliance and the Survivor Alliance early on, and then that kind of protected all those people. And then they had a limited number of people to pick from, or were they going to go, was one going to be able to convince the other to go against somebody in their alliance? And that created an interesting, interesting dynamic. But if we're changing the game now and going individual, I would have far preferred to see, like, let's see, like, what happens if, because if, now somebody from this alliance goes up, uh, uh, wins, and they're winning with somebody outside the alliance, then what happens? Right. Right? Like, do they expose that alliance? Are they, like, having to hide it and come up with reasons not to put these people up? Uh, is this alliance going to get blown up through that process? I don't know. I don't know how this is going to pan out. I don't think I still quite have the grasp in my mind on how alliances really work in this game and how effective are they. So we have our night out in Buenos Aires and there is just like a very great moment where this kicks off the Sarah story for the rest of the episode where Enzo is just chit-chatting with Sarah and who else is there? I think Desi and Kayla. And he's talking about how, you know, he he has his stitches, he's feeling a little better, but he's not sure how he's going to do in the challenge. And of course, they don't know the challenge that's coming up, that it's, it's going to be a very physical one. And so he's just kind of like expressing that he's a little concerned about how his performance is going to be in the challenge. He walks away and we get a shot like from the office where Sarah... While he's still like he's he's almost still in frame, where she turns around and makes this ridiculous face <laughs> at the girls, and it's just like you can see the wheels turning in her head, and that's when she hatches this plan. That's like, wouldn't it be amazing? I mean, how many times did she say, how, how many times in the challenge history has this ever happened that a woman would go against a man? And it's like, okay, I mean, I don't know, but Kayla seems to think it's never happened, so that's fine. But why? Because one. The whole point of you wanting to win challenges is to qualify for the final. Enzo doesn't have enough for you to qualify. I think she would be $500 short, right? Right. Well, And, and what makes this extra funny <laughs> is that she makes that comment about like wanting to teach young girls out there. Yeah. And it's like, so basically the lesson that you're hoping to impart upon young women is that you can put yourself in harm's way. Uh, for no cost whatsoever. I was like, aren't you like doing a disservice to young women out there? Like, it's just, it's so funny that Sarah's thought process and like we get to witness this sort of broken thought pattern of hers, but it's like, not only does she want to make a horribly dumb and illogical move, but she thinks that it's like somehow a heroic move and, and, and setting some sort of precedent for women when it's like, 
first of all, there are t every other woman on this show, except for you, has excelled at the game. They have won challenges. The irony could not be greater here. Sarah, the one and only loser amongst the women on this game, <laughs> wants to make a statement to women out there. I mean, you couldn't write that shit. <laughs> I do I do truly love her for all of this nonsense though. Oh, like totally. it's so crazy. And none of it's it makes sense. It's the conviction, sense. but it's the conviction. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She is she a lot of people would play this up. A lot of people would do this for television. I think she genuinely thinks like like she is putting her whole heart into this. I don't think she's doing it to make good TV, but she is. She but she came into this and she was like this is my season. So I have a little insight because uh, I, I'm not checking Sarah Lucina's Instagram very often, but uh, I, it just popped up and I happened to read the caption, which uh, that's a dangerous place to go in the internet. But I, it turned out to be very fruitful because it is relevant here because she posted a picture from the challenge and she posted an explanation of a little insight into why she was making the decisions she made this week. And so I'm going to read the caption from her Instagram. She said, I agree going in against Enzo is stupid, but this is why it was worth it to me. Strap in. We got to call home each week. I had an emotional phone call with my husband. Our son was sick and he was continually complaining of stomach pain while I was gone. Knox had been, which I guess is her son, Knox had been throwing up and I could tell Wyatt was stressed being a single parent while I was gone. He said, I could really use you at home right now. My son was saying, mommy, when will you be home? My heart was breaking for them. Wyatt then proceeds to tell me, uh, Wyatt being her husband, Wyatt then proceeds to tell me about a homicide that happened. I am one of the homicide investigators at our police department. My lieutenant called Wyatt asking when I'd be back because they could use my help. I'm feeling extreme guilt of the burden I'm causing for my family and coworkers being gone. I am not going to quit. If I leave, I won't get paid for her appearance fee. So for me, going in would be a win-win. If I lose, I still get paid and I get to go home to my family. If I win, that's cool too. I agree it looks like an idiotic decision if you don't know what's actually going on. Write the tell-all book today, Sarah Lucina. I was going to say, I mean, makes sense. Yeah. So it's interesting that we see Leo's phone call last week, which like didn't make sense. And I feel like if we saw a little bit of this, suddenly a lot more would make sense. But I feel like also they know what they have here. And like, it was just gold either way. And like, if they're giving Sarah a little bit of a dodo edit, I, I still think it like comes off. I don't think it comes off terribly for Sarah. Well, her her conviction is such that if you don't really think about it, you're kind of just like, yeah, yeah. yeah got it. Makes sense. Yeah, you go, girl. Okay, so because this episode was so Sarah-centric and Sarah has really been emerging as the star of the Challenge USA, I did put out a poll on our Instagram asking what Sarah Lucina fans are called. What, does, what do, do we call the Sarah Lucina fandom? Um, you know, Lady Gaga has her little monsters. Rihanna has the Navy. Beyonce has the beehive. What is the Sarah Lucina fandom called? And the answer is not Sean and Evan. <laughs> I so I just wanted to pull out some of the top picks. Um, I personally have a winner, but I think there's some really strong contenders. Got a lot of cops, got a lot of flops, 
got a lot of maggots, got a lot of proud girls, uh, got a a couple incels. Uh, I really liked the silent majority. Yes. Um, I liked Trumpettes with the trumpet emoji next to it. Uh, Lacussies I liked. Lackeys. Lassinators. Uh, And then, of course, her haters would be called Lassin Haters. The Lacina beat I thought was clever. Um, Lacerations. (laughs) Oh, I really liked this one. In Sarah-actionists. Insurrectionists. Okay. <laughs> that was good. Lack cluster. Um, uh, if if we're going with sort of like the beehive approach, where like the beehive is like almost a place, it's a headquarters, um, then we would have the Lassination Station where we would meet. But my favorite actually comes from a friend of ours, Kevin, who is the host of Deja the View. It's simple. It's classic. Lil Piggies. So I'm going with Lil Piggies. <laughs> <clears throat> well, this is funny because... Kevin famously came up with the little little hunties. Little hunties. For, yeah, Abby Huntsman fans. Uh, so yeah, I appreciate the the thematic nature of this. Yeah. yeah little piggies. Yeah. So we're going with little piggies. So let's go over. Do you have any suggestions or or, or you, you co-sign that? I co-sign. Okay, nice. Uh, so let's go over to the arena where we are playing the hall brawl. This is one that many listeners have told us about they have talked about this so i knew that this was like kind of an iconic challenge challenge and so i was kind of looking forward to it they actually do a version of this on australian survivor and i've always really really loved this challenge it's way less um it's not a thin haul but they'll be like they'll have to they basically have like it's usually in the water and it's just a track and they have to get to the other side and ring the bell first and that might involve some people have tried to hack the challenge by just racing it but usually it involves like some sort of tussle in the middle to like slow down your opponent i've always really liked that and i would almost now that i've seen hall brawl i'm like make it make it more narrow like let's get some let's get some blood on the floor (laughs) so i am not sold on hall brawl uh they definitely built it up and i understand Mm -hmm. for a long time challenge fans this is a staple i guess my question is because this made me think a lot about big brother has staple competitions as well one of them is called the wall challenge uh so some alliteration hall brawl wall um and, or no, alliteration is when it's just the same first letter. Never mind. Anyway, yeah, you're the rhyming. point being, <laughs> <laughs> you're just the rhyming. point. The point being, in the famous wall challenge of Big Brother, the goal is that you're standing up against a little peg on the wall and you have to hold on. That's the mm-hmm. challenge, and and yet it is so famous and like people make a big deal when they win the wall challenge. And this had that same energy to me, where I was like. Is this iconic because it's iconic or is it iconic because it's a staple of the show? And is that really the key to the success of these shows that have that go into the double digit seasons is really just satisfying your customer through redundancy, through like providing these sort of like tent poles with which they can say, oh, that's the blank challenge. Because Hall Brawl, for all intents and purposes, and I think as we saw play out in this episode, when you have two uniconic players playing it, <laughs> the result is very flat. Now, to yeah. your point earlier, if Sarah and Angela were playing Hall Brawl, I'd be all in, but it's so circumstantial. And to yeah. me, if you want to be an iconic challenge, the iconography has to exist regardless of who's playing it. And Hall Brawl, I feel, is very dependent 
upon the players. And as we saw in this episode, I feel like they wasted the hall brawl on yeah. this week by having yeah. these two players, neither of which were equipped to play it well. Like they weren't really stacked properly. And also the consequence was so minimal because there was no hero or villain this week. It was just two losers. Um, and so the result was just, okay, the bigger loser of the two losers went home. Yeah. Agreed. And it's so... I just felt like... I, I can see how this would be an iconic challenge. I could see how this would be really fun to watch. I'm sure that in the past it's played out, like, spectacularly. But in this instance, it's like... It was over so fast. I mean, they did their best with the editing of, like, replaying, rewinding. I mean, they stretched yeah. this out. At one point, they just fully, like, went to commercial. Yeah. We came back and we restarted the round. Um <laughs> <laughs> they stretched this out for as long as they could, but this was over in seconds. Leo didn't stand a chance. It was just like, all, it was just too easy. I think they were mismatched as a pair. Would have been really nice. It's a shame that because they knew that this must have been coming, I mean, just based on the confessionals, that the reactions that we had to the hall brawl and seeing that it was that challenge, it would be interesting to hear like, Danny is a football player, right? And Danny is not qualified for the final yet. And although Enzo doesn't have the money to qualify anybody for the final because he only had $2,000, it's just like, is there any situation in which Ben would have said like, oh, Danny, you know what? If it's the hall brawl, I'll put you in if you want to go in and take somebody out. Like, how great would that be? I would much rather have watched Danny just plow Enzo and win. Well, yeah. (laughs) I actually distinctly don't want to see that. (laughs) A lot of people I'd like to watch Danny Plow, but Enzo's not one of them. Yeah, Enzo's not one of them. (laughs) Um, Oh, wait, give me, um, who was my crush from the very beginning of the season whose name was like Cache? Oh, Cashel. Cashel. Miss him. What's he up to? We should check in with him at some point. Um... Yeah, no, I completely agree with you, though. Danny would have been so exciting. Also, like, liter- I mean, hello, football player doing this challenge just makes a lot of sense. Would so- have been iconic. And Kiki, well, Kiki watches it at home. Hello. Kiki loves this challenge. We got our second Kiki shout out. Yeah, so I, I think this was a, a, a missed opportunity and sort of contributed to what we've both agreed is kind of a lackluster episode. Um, yeah, but I mean, on to the next one, as they say. Yeah. I mean, it does look like we're, I mean, uh, maybe it's just the editing, but in the preview for next week. Oh, of course. So wait, what did I say this? Yes. Enzo wins. Leo is eliminated and Leo is like sulking in the back. Yeah, that was odd. That was really odd. Where TJ's like, like they they finished the show. They, they had, they're like, we have to wrap this up and Leo's not coming back. So like TJ just said, Leo's taking a moment to himself. What a strange send off. Leo really rubs me the wrong way, I gotta say. Leo is, like, such a strange character because it's, like, heroic. I mean, we were loving him several weeks ago, and now he was, like, this episode, he just was such a sore loser. And how sad could he be? He he had his bags packed last week to go home. He's dying to go home. Yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah. Leo uh, flew too close to the sun. (laughs) Or not close enough for some of us. Yeah, maybe. Um, okay. So the preview for next week looks like we may be getting our showdown between Angela and Sarah, because that's what the, 
that's what the preview focused on. And they seem to be like in a huge stadium running around. So that could be potentially fun to be. It's, you know, not a water challenge. It's a little bit different. It's not a water challenge and it's not a parking lot challenge. So I'm happy. So to see a, a new location. So looking forward to that. Is it the penultimate episode? Does anybody know when this ends? Does Please it Please let us know. <laughs> I'm sure it's Googleable, but <laughs> look, I don't have the time. Okay, so we can wrap this up. Uh, if you are on our Patreon or you're interested in joining our Patreon, check out the link in our show notes below because we are going to be recapping this week for our patrons only, Snake in the Grass, which is this week starring Sari, Stephanie LaGrosa, Rachel Riley, whoever that is, and Janelle from Big Brother. So. Not who whoever that is about. Wait, was the, was the who, whoever that is Rachel or Janelle? Rachel. I would say Rachel is like. I, I, I know I, she's iconic. I literally know she's iconic. No, I'm I know, but I, my I've point is, it's like it. there are a lot of people that are considered iconic on shows that it's like God, the bar is so low. Rachel Riley is iconic. Okay. But I am nervous that she's going to suffer from the Tyson syndrome of like in her older age playing the character of Rachel Riley. But you look at people like Tiffany New York Pollard who like are able to like stretch it out and still have it work. So I'm hoping she falls into that category. But I'm I'm as as uh frustrated as I am about having to watch this show <laughs> yet again. Um I am excited in that at least whereas like with the Trish episode, I was like I don't even know this woman, <laughs> let alone the other three players. At least with this one I'm like okay, I'm invested in all four of these players. Yeah, I'm really excited for this episode. Like they they can make the worst show on TV and they have with Snake in the Grass, but they have put it, you know, at least 3 out of the 4 that I know some of the best characters to ever be on reality TV. So I'm really excited to watch this go down. Evan, I'm curious, can we make a prediction on who the snake is before we even watch the episode? Like, who do you think production would be like of these four women? Who are the ones they're going to tag to be the snake? Suri is the snake. I think it's almost too obvious. I think Stephanie LaRosa is going to be the snake. No, because they're all obvious. Like, that's the thing about these four is like, yes, Suri is obvious. But it's like, do they want to put their biggest star do you think Suri's the biggest star of the four of them no Janelle or you think Janelle Janelle especially because we're in more millions of people have watched Suri than have watched Janelle maybe but the thing is Big Brother is such a Twitter centric show and Janelle is such a presence on Twitter to this day I think that Janelle of the four of them is the most in the zeitgeist do you think that if we went out into the street and took a poll of random strangers and we said, do you know who Sari from Survivor is? Or do you know who Janelle from Big Brother is? Who would we get more yeses to? Janelle, unfortunately. Honestly. Yeah. Wow. Again, because I think Janelle stays relevant because she live tweets Big Brother. Right. And I think people <laughs> well, that... Well, Sari live Instagram story posts her watching Survivor every week. <laughs> also, not for nothing, I think just in the scheme of famous, like, I think Janelle is de facto the most famous Big Brother player, and I don't think there are many famous Big Brother players, whereas with Survivor, even the cursory person, I think, like, for instance, a lot of people will know Jervis more than they would Sari from Survivor because he was a part of that 
iconic early cast. But I think also there's just so many like zeitgeist survivor players, whether it be Rob or Richard Hatch or Susan Hawk, etc. That like I just think Janelle rises to the top because there's less competition in the world of Big Brother. It's so funny you say that about Jervis because a friend of mine is watching all 40 seasons, 42 seasons of Survivor right now. He's just started Blood versus Water and he was reacting to the cast to me in text. And I was like, oh, what do you think about Jervis being there? And he's like, I don't remember a Jervis. <laughs> but it's like, so he's wa- so he's watching them all, but he had he had watched the first four when they aired. So he started with, actually, I think he skipped Thailand. But um he started after the ones that he had watched when they aired. But still, I was like, you don't remember Jer. Like, this is seared into my memory. Oh, my God. Eating the rat and then his reaction to uh, eating that. What, the galoot? grub. Yeah. The grub. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, all this to say, <laughs> I think Janelle is. Ob- and then also, I think that the thing is with. Ra- the, the interesting thing about Rachel and Janelle is they're both such like cunning strategists whereas Sari and Stephanie were their strategy was more circumstantial Mm. so it's really interesting if nothing else it's like my god do we need Stephanie LaGrosa back on Survivor but I think this will be an interesting road test to see if she still has some gas in the tank yeah well, I hope she does because she's got the other show with Sari coming up too. So yeah. if this Maybe wants, we'll get like a Simple Life reboot with the two of them and like we can just really keep this going. <laughs> that is pay-per-view television. Okay, so we are going to be talking about Snake and the Grass this week on the Patreon just for our patrons. So make sure that you go check that out. Um, of course, as I mentioned uh, on our last episode, I think, um, the... Patreon charges you on the first of the month. So like if you're going to sign up, I would highly recommend waiting till September 1st at this point because you're going to be charged twice in a row. And I'm just saying that so that you don't get pissed off at us or Patreon because <laughs> that would not be nice. And also we should be having the Survivor 43 cast officially drop, although you can kind of find it online already. Um, but the official cast bios and kind of interviews and stuff that come out, that should be coming any day now. And uh, we have talked about doing a live Zoom call with our patrons once that drops so that we can kind of react to the cast. So that will be very fun. So we will do that in early September, as long as it's out uh, for our patrons. And so you can find out about that and everything else that we offer on our Patreon in the link in the show notes to this, uh, or by going to patreon.com slash drop your buffs. Otherwise, I hope you've checked out our Earl Cole interview. It was so great to talk to Earl and he gave us so much great insight about survivor Fiji, uh, and so much else, including winners at war and, uh, and some of the, developments in survivor in seasons 41 and 42 and some really great jeff t so uh that was really fun make sure that you check that out of course our patrons will have access to the video of that uh tomorrow so monday uh the video with the uh, earl cole interview will be going up on patreon uh make sure that you're subscribed so you don't miss our upcoming uh, interviews challenge recaps survivor recaps which will be coming up soon uh survivor 43 and so much more Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.